The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are doing Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 11, The Dueling Club. This chapter starts out with Harry in the hospital wing and Madame Pomfrey is making sure his bones are growing back after Lockhart removed them with his wonder fail. What do you think about this character, this magical nurse, and the potential of healing with magic? I'll be honest, that's something I would be really, really interested in. I am very interested in healing magic, so... I am fascinated with potions. That's my favorite class, especially in terms of how to brew healing potions. And one of the superpowers I always wanted to have was the ability to heal others. And I think I would love to have Madame Pomfrey's abilities. And I wish that I could teach a class on how we can heal others physically and on a psychological level as well. You are a healer. You're a healer witch. Witches actually started out as healers. And that's why they got into trouble. (laughs) All their magic. Witches did not get into trouble. They were (laughs) misunderstood. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people became threatened by the idea of powerful women healers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. In order to cause a distraction to get ingredients out of Snape's potion bin, Harry puts a filibuster firework into Goyle's cauldron, and it explodes, and anyone who got hit by the contents had that piece of their body inflate in size, like triple size or something. When does fighting for a cause go too far? You know, I think that it can go too far when people stop having the consideration of who can get hurt by this and kind of lose the perspective of everything else. So when people might be so preoccupied on their mission that they might be so in the vision that they might be ignoring the potential risks to themselves or others. For any kind of plan that could be risky at all, it's important to evaluate any potential factors that might affect other people and to see whether it's worth the risks. When it happens, I mean, I don't think that Harry knew 
what kind of damage it was going to create or what kind of results were going to happen from the potion exploding. It seemed simple enough, though, at the end because Snape just had a draft to deflate them. Lucky for him, you know what I mean? <laughs> Otherwise, it could have been a little bit more serious and then a whole bunch of other kids would be in Madame Pomfrey's wing. So a week later, Harry and the gang run into a crowd around the notice board. The people in the crowd are looking at an advertisement for the Dueling Club. Considering the levity of these recent events, some lessons on self-defense would be the logical next step. I mean, who wouldn't want to protect themselves against a crazy monster that's attacking people and petrifying them? So how does fear factor into this drive for protection? Fear is a very powerful motivator. It can make people do things that are irrational in order to try to prepare or seek out logical ways to protect themselves. In some cases, for example, in the case of certain pandemics, <laughs> uh, fear might encourage people to stock up on food and water, which could be rational and helpful, or sometimes can cause people to do irrational things such as War of the Worlds and, you know, ah, sure. aliens are invading. Sure, or load <laughs> up on weapons, which, you know, in this case is hopefully not something that people need. And I really don't understand why people would need that. It's understandable how having seen Filch's cat being attacked, having seen these messages, students are going to be intimidated. And how now that there was a student that was attacked mm -hmm. as well, Colin Creevy, Hogwarts students are going to want to learn how to protect themselves. So it makes sense that they're going to want to go to some kind of a self-defense class, in this case, a dueling club, to learn what to do if danger strikes. I think taking any kind of action, whether that action ends up being helpful or not, makes people feel safer as opposed to just sitting there and doing nothing when something scary happens. It just makes sense regardless to want to protect yourself, do some self-defense, maybe some karate. Well, and in general, when someone feels anxious, I think that trying to hide or run away from danger is probably not always the best mechanism. I mean, trying to get away from a person or an animal that is unsafe is probably a good strategy. However, if we're facing, let's say, a panic attack, mm -hmm. and as a result of that, we maybe hide out in our room or refuse to go outside, that strategy might not be effective. And so learning ways to step outside of our comfort zone and face our anxiety can actually make us feel more empowered. In this situation, however, since one of the students was attacked, I do think that the Hogwarts administration really ought to have canceled school and <laughs> sent students home as soon as Colin Creevy was attacked, maybe even as soon as Filch's cat was attacked, to make sure that students are safe. Well, something's fishy going on, that's for sure. So the kids are all wondering who is putting on the dueling club. And as though Harry and the gang wandered into this nightmare, to their dismay, the dueling club is being run by Gilderoy Lockhart. Gather round! <laughs> Gather round! Can everybody see me? Can you all hear me? 
excellent. In light of the dark events of recent weeks, Professor Dumbledore has granted me permission to start this little dueling club to train you all up in case you ever need to defend yourselves, as I myself have done on countless occasions. For full details, see my published work. After a very conceited self-introduction, Lockhart introduces Snape as his assistant, and I air-quoted there, just for giggles, and explains that the two professors will be demonstrating the proper way to duel. Let me introduce my assistant, Professor Snape. He has sportingly agreed to help me with a short demonstration. Now, I don't want any of you youngsters to worry. You'll still have your potions, Master, when I'm through with it. Never fear. I'm sure that underneath Snape's blank look, he was actually smiling because he blasts Lockhart into the air and against the wall with a disarming spell. <laughs> I mean, he was destroyed. One. Two. Three. Expelliarmus! Shall we? Snape. Snape. Severus Snape. 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 Severus Snape. It was awesome. Anyways, Lockhart immediately recovers by explaining that he allowed Snape to disarm him that way just to show the students how this disarming spell works. An excellent idea to show them that, Professor Snape, but if you don't mind me saying, it was pretty obvious uh, what you're about to do. And if I had wanted to stop you, it would have been only too easy. Perhaps it would be prudent to first teach the students to block unfriendly spells, Professor. What do you think is the perceived benefit of saving face and how powerful is embarrassment? I think in this situation with Lockhart specifically, this is not so much about saving face as it is about protecting his ego. He is such a narcissist that he cannot be held accountable, it seems. He's not willing to admit that he wasn't prepared for something, that he did something imperfectly, that he wasn't anticipating some kind of a reaction, that he had some kind of a setback or failed at something, which actually would be a lot more impressive. I would much rather my teacher admit that they don't know something than to lie and pretend that they do. I once had a lock heart of a teacher mm -hmm. when I was in graduate school, and this was actually in a doctorate program. This was one of the last classes I had to take. This particular instructor flat out lied about a number of different facts rather than admitting that he didn't know something. And so in one of the classes, he was talking about the famous Pavlov experiment where Russian scientist Ivan Pavlov, about 100 years ago now, was training a group of dogs to salivate to the sound of a metronome. He made a number of mistakes explaining it. First, he said that Pavlov used a bell instead of a metronome, which is a common misconception that mm. I expect some people to think, but because he was a professor who was supposed to know quite a lot mm -hmm. about this, I was already starting to get a little bit upset. You know, I kind of let that go. He made a couple of mistakes in the formulas he was explaining, but I was trying to let it go. And then, unprovoked, without being asked any kind of a question by a student, he just volunteered incorrect information. He said, as all of you know, 
Russians are poor and therefore Pavlov never actually fed those dogs. He would just wave a piece of meat in front of them and the dogs would salivate and then Pavlov and his colleagues ate the meat themselves. Oh my goodness. That is extremely inappropriate and insulting in so many ways. Ivan Pavlov actually fed the dogs in the experiments. They were tested while hungry. And then when they would start salivating, they were infused with meat powder. But after the experiment, they would be fed. They mm -hmm. were not starving. He took really good care of his dogs. A couple of students asked questions about formulas. And instead of saying he didn't know, he just flat out made up numbers to explain certain concepts that, you know, I don't want to bore anyone with. But my point is... It was a complete Lockhart moment and it made me lose respect for that instructor. Whereas if he said, you know, I don't actually know, that would have been completely fine. Yeah. Get your facts straight. Too. Absolutely. And so I think that when people get embarrassed, it can actually be a really humbling experience because then they can learn, hey, maybe this particular action is maybe not socially acceptable or maybe... I need to be a little bit more careful, but in case of Lockhart, he is so focused on keeping his image that he ends up losing all credibility with his colleagues and eventually with students. He has to be embarrassed to be just owned like that, you know? Maybe. I don't actually know how he felt. But one way or another, it seems that he is absolutely unwilling to show any kind of vulnerability or any kind of defeat to the students and he's unwilling to show to students hey you know that was a really good technique that Snape used and I actually wasn't prepared for that that was a good job right on mm -hmm. Snape's part um, that actually would have been a really good lesson but because of his cockiness because of his obnoxious way of just trying to elevate his own self-esteem and his own ego Unfortunately, he ends up being a really unhelpful teacher. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing happens at the dueling club. Harry and Draco are matched together and pitted against one another. Let's have a volunteer pair. Um, Potter, Weasley, how about you? Weasley's wand causes devastation with the simplest spells. We'll be sending Potter to the hospital wing in a matchbox. Might I suggest someone from my own house? Malfoy, perhaps. They go at it. They were only supposed to do disarming spells, but they end up, you know, doing tickling spells and leg lock curses, and they have to be pried apart by Snape and Lockhart. On the count of three, cast your charms to disarm your opponent, only to disarm. We don't want any accidents here. One. Two. After all this fighting, they get paired again for another demonstration. And in this one, Draco casts a snake out of his wand. Seven sort here! This snake kind of focuses its attention on another student named Justin Finch Fletchley. 
Harry yells at the snake to leave Justin alone, and the snake obeys him. Harry doesn't learn until later that he actually spoke in a snake language called parcel tongue. He thought he was just talking normal and speaking normal that everyone would hear, but he was actually hissing like a snake. I think that whole idea of a snake language is just awesome. It's so cool. What do you think about this scene with respect to unrealized talents? That's such a great question. I think that we all have some kind of hidden talents and potentials. And sometimes it's not until we're in a kind of a sticky situation, like a pickle, right? Where these talents might come up. For some individuals, it's when their lives are in danger or when someone else's lives are in danger that their true, whether it's physical or emotional strength or, or some kind of other hidden talent might come about. For J.K. Rowling, we know that she had the idea for the Harry Potter series for about six years before she started writing it. And it took her going through the most difficult time of her life if I remember her quote correctly, she says, I hit rock bottom, which became the foundation upon which I rebuilt my life. Mm -hmm. Basically, she was going through so much between her divorce and poverty and being unemployed and struggling with mental health and taking care of her child. If I remember all of these facts correctly, that it's almost like she had nothing to lose at that point. And that gave her the courage to actually write the first Harry Potter book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And so she might not have fully recognized her talent, her ability to write until she was in this dire straits kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when we're in the most challenging situation, that's when we might be able to unlock these secret talents. I'm not saying that trauma is necessary for us to find our superpowers, but sometimes it's in these desperate moments that our secret talents become revealed to us, as is what happens to Harry here. Husband, yeah. I just would like to talk like a parcel tongue, maybe one day, maybe. Totally. I want to talk to cats. Ooh, for the record. that'd be a fun one too. Would that be purring? <laughs> okay, you're being too cute now. <laughs> so after finding out that he is a parcel mouth and can speak to snakes, the majority of students now believe the rumors about Harry are true. Even those who were kind of on the fence just now believe that he is the heir of Slytherin. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense. He even thinks that he is the heir of Slytherin himself. He's starting to believe it and starting to almost convince himself. Is there a name for this kind of behavior like or a psychological association? It seems to be almost like a confirmation bias where people develop some kind of a belief and opinion and they're essentially looking for ways to confirm that belief and they're disregarding anything that doesn't match that belief and only are clinging on to evidence that supports it. So everywhere Harry goes, people are looking for any kind of confirmatory evidence to say that, yes, he is the heir of Slytherin, as in, well, he was seen with 
Colin Creevy, and Colin Creevy took a picture of him when mm-hmm. Harry was down in the mud. And Filch didn't like him, and therefore his cat got yeah. attacked. And so they're looking for any kind of evidence to support their belief, but ignoring a vast amount of evidence that disproves their theory. Yeah. He was also asking about Justin Finch Fletchley after the whole snake scene where the snake was actually going towards him and it almost seemed like when Harry was talking in Parseltongue that he was egging the snake on to try to get him. So everybody was already thinking that maybe he had it out for Justin just because Justin had mentioned that he was a muggle-born. So anyway, I told Justin tied up in our dormitory. I mean to say, if Potter's marks him down as his next victim, it's best to keep a low profile for a while. But why would he want to attack Justin? Well, Justin let it slip to Potter that he was muggle-born. And you definitely think Potter's the heir of Slytherin? Hannah, he's a parcel mouth. Everyone knows that's the mark of a dark wizard. Have you ever heard of a decent one who could talk to snakes? They called Slytherin himself Serpent Tongue. Harry always seems so nice, though. And after all, he is the one who made you-know-who disappear. That's probably why you-know-who wanted to kill him in the first place. Didn't want another Dark Lord competing with him. So in that instance, there's already so much stacked against Harry. It's almost kind of sad, because on the way to class, Harry runs into Justin Finch Fletchley and nearly headless Nick, and both of them are petrified. They're frozen in shock. So Harry is now alone in a dark hall with two more victims of these sinister acts that are going on in Hogwarts. And essentially he is caught red-handed because Peeves comes out and just sounds the alarm and everybody comes out. And Harry is escorted to Dumbledore's office, which is where the chapter ends. So we will be discussing that on the next episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek and Cinema Lord on Instagram. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day and stay magical out there, everybody. <laughs>